you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It is the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, the Fearless Business Coach, and I've got a fantastic guest on the show today in the form of Denise Ferguson, who is the only UK surveyor who specializes in negotiating leases for salon owners, but you can't tell I'm reading this, can you? She's also the host (laughs) of the I'm Not Doing This Without Alcohol podcast. Welcome to the show, Denise. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. It's a pleasure. Thank you for being here. Uh, it's an honour as well, because I know that you're, um, I've been a guest on your podcast. And first of all, I love the title. How did you actually come up with the title? So um, we were having a marketing meeting for um, my business, Fine Surveyors, and talking all about the different ways that we were going to uh, market the business. And um, I was um, joyfully informed that I would have to do a podcast because that was the thing to do um, back in the day. So this was about three years ago now. So the podcast has been going for about two years. And I said, I'm not doing that. No, I first of all, I said, I'm not doing that. And they said, no, you are. And I said, well, I'm not doing that without alcohol. And they were just laughed. And I said, that's it. That's the title. And they were like, are you insane? Uh, one, yes, of course I am. And two, no, I definitely think we should. I should interview people having a drink because me and my friends always have those conversations of who would be on your table? Like if you could have anybody on the table to have a drink with, who would it be? You know, like the Billy Connollys and things like that of the world. And I was like, that's just the best way to have a kind of casual conversation with somebody and get some good stuff out of them. And it does get some good stuff out of them. Well, especially when it comes to business as well, because I think we've been devoid of, you know, positive business interactions during lockdown and everything else. And um, I I discovered Clubhouse and then realised that that was the thing that I'd been missing throughout lockdown, was just that when you accidentally bump into a business associate down at Sainsbury's or at the pub, and then you have like a a really intellectually stimulating conversation with them about business or whatever it might be. And the, the pub is the best, isn't it? When you're about three pints in or a glass of wine, and then the conversation really starts to flow in terms of the podcast what what have you what benefits have you found that it's had for your business it's been me as a whole uh, which has obviously benefited my business massively I mean connection wise it's great but also it's honed my ability to have those conversations whether or not they're easy or difficult or probing conversations because I've learned how to change my hosting interviewing style into just a conversational style so I listen way more than I ever did before and I think you know the the adage of you've got two ears and one mouth using it use it appropriately is fundamental when it comes to podcasting you ask a question and you want that person to run with it and give you you know lots of information back so you can ask them another great question to keep it going And you'll know as well as I do when you're hosting a podcast and you do that and you get one word answers, it is like blood from a stone. So I've learned then to kind of 
think on my feet and really kind of encourage people to get the most out of them when we're having conversations. And that works phenomenally for my business. And also, obviously, it kind of gets my name out there as well, too. And because my podcast isn't about my business, it opens me up to whole worlds of people that have nothing to do with salon owners. So it's been great for my business and me. Absolutely. There's nothing worse is there when you get onto a podcast and you find that all the host does is talk about themselves and then you don't get a word in edgeways uh, uh, through it. But I mean, in terms of, as well, because I really like the conversational style of the podcast, especially having been a guest on yours as well. Um, and it, and it's um, it's you're like un, unapologetically Denise as well, which is, is something I think a lot of podcasts, they hold back, don't they? Whereas yours is kind of quite the opposite of that. And you do get the most out of your guests. Yeah, it's really important for me. I say this all the time, all over social media, in clubhouse rooms, everywhere, that it's absolutely vital for business owners to show up on, on, on unapologetically as themselves. Because when you are working with people on that level of business, you have to, have to show up as yourself. So you do get you know, intimate with them in a conversational way. So when, especially when I'm you know, working on big projects and it's so emotional for my salon owners to spending a lot of money and getting into um, leases and really kind of putting themselves on the line to open new salons, especially during the pandemic and afterwards. There's a, it's very emotional for them and we get to know each other very, very intimately. And that's one of the first things I do. I really strip them back and understand everything about their business because just before um, a salon owner is about to sign their lease, they freak out. It's very much like the labour process for a woman where she gets to a certain transitional stage and she says, I don't want to have this baby anymore. That happens with every single lease. And if I don't know that client inside out, I don't know the words to use to tell them to calm down. So I have to show up exactly how I am, because if you can't cope with who I am as a person, you're not going to be able to cope with me in that transitional phase. So it's really important that when you're working with me, you understand that I'm going to be, you know, very, you know, f funny and sarcastic and everything has to be, you know, um, entertaining and I'm going to swear and I'm going to, you know, try and get make the most out of situations. I don't do negative. I don't do um, you know, I don't shy away from confrontation. I will call a spade a spade. So because I am that person and because it's so important to my business, I have to show up like that everywhere. So when it came to the podcast, it was really important for me to, to maximize that and very much show up exactly how I am. I do have a big personality anyway. So to dampen that down would be you know, painful for me anyway. And I think when you've gone, when you've ran a business for as long as I have, you know that the first years of business, people are constantly telling you to not be you and to be professional and to be this and that. And you realize the more you actually show up as yourself, the more successful you are. Um, and I just, that's why I kind of constantly advocate that people just show up as they are because it pre-qualifies people as to whether or not they want to work with you. If you can't, deal with who I am then you just choose not to work with me it doesn't it's it's a really easy decision to make so that and having a couple of drinks in my hand really brings out the whole of Denise <laughs> very quickly it's a bit it reminds me what you just said there about um it's you would never like hire a, 
a boxing coach, for example. And then every time you get in the ring, imagine if they just came up to you and just gave you a hug. And then it's like three weeks into your training, they say, right, it's match time, it's go time now. And you get into the ring and then you get punched in the face, right? It's going to come as a bit of a shock. And I really like, um, so your approach is kind of like very much that there's a bit of the punch in the face, but also I think you kind of deliver that with a bit, a lot of empathy. And having listened to you on Clubhouse quite, you know, um, quite frequently, I think last time I was, um, walking through one of the local fields, you know, with cows all around me with my dog. And then you just, you, you gave this very sort of, um, somebody with, I can't remember exactly what the question was, but you just gave this very heartfelt answer that came from a place of experience. And I think you're able to deliver like both sides of the coin there. And what, what I see is so many people, like we have Clubhouse, we have all these different social media channels. And I don't know why, but the moment people get in front of the camera, all of a sudden they think they have to be this different person. Um, and I, I just were curious, like, what, what are your thoughts? Why do people behave differently in front of the camera or on Clubhouse or wherever it might be to, you know, if you catch them in person? I think it's fear. I think people are terrified of other people's opinions. And I'm, in, I'm incredibly lucky. I've never had that. I come from a father who has absolutely no connection between his brain and his mouth whatsoever. So I am a slightly watered down version of that. But nevertheless, I was raised around that feeling. I'm, I have no fear whatsoever in saying what I see and people's reactions to that. I find it absolutely fascinating because I never, um, it's never my intention to hurt anyone or to, you know, discourage people. Everybody knows, you know, wherever I am on Clubhouse or any form of social media, I spend my whole life encouraging people to go for whatever their dreams are and have those emotional conversations with people. Cause it hasn't always been easy for me. I've, you know, I've, I've lost as many times as I've won and I'm, you know, incredibly candid about my journey in business and life, you know, divorce, yeah. single mother, everything. You know, I talk about everything absolutely freely, but nevertheless, I was raised by a father in an environment where you absolutely say what you see. So there was never any fear for me of other people's opinions because I'd all, always grown up with people being shocked at the things that came out of my mouth. So if I was going to continue to show up as I am, I had to have that, that thick skin. And I know that's probably not what I encourage people to have, but have that thick skin of if you're going to continue to show up authentically as you are, then you're going to have to cope with people's reactions. And I was very young when I realized that you had to just show, if you wanted to show up as you are, you had to not care what the repercussions were. And I don't think everyone else was as lucky as I am to be raised in that environment. I think they try to do that later on in life but they've got the conditioning from childhood that tells them to always shut up. And I just didn't have that. It's, it's, um, I, th I guess the fear then is potentially a fear of being judged, isn't it? But actually the reality is in business, like at the end of the day, marketing. You're going to be judged anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's what I say to everybody. Positively you, or negatively. You can, you can tell the truth or you can hide the truth, but you're going to be judged anyway. So why not just tell the truth? I just don't understand it. It doesn't register in my head at all because people, some people say to me, well, you know, you don't always have to be so honest. And I, my reaction is always, why? Why are people scared of the truth? If somebody says to me, oh, actually that hurt my feelings, I'll, I'll say this wasn't um, to hurt your feelings. You know, let me explain to you why I'm giving you this advice or I'm helping you. I'm okay with that. 
but I'm not okay with people saying, oh, it's, you know, don't be so honest. Like, no, be honest. You work on your reactions towards people's honesty because the honesty is still going to be there because it was the truth. Yeah, well, that, that, that's it's it's um, both sides of the, the the you know the coin, so to speak, because uh, you're out like it's out of your control what that person's reaction is, but it's in their control, and they they need to deal with that. Um, um, my my point was going to be um, I've forgotten what my point was going to be now. Actually, Denise, you throw me a little Sorry. bit. That's all right. It, it happens from time to time. I, I blame it on it um, not having enough probably alcohol in my system to be able to make sense sometimes. Oh, we should have done this over a glass of wine. We we should have done really, and it's the 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 it's ten o'clock somewhere in the world, so you know. Uh, or six o'clock or whatever the five o'clock whatever the, t- the term is um, well it can be we can just go to an airport because then you can drink at any time oh well that exactly yeah well, it's only 20 past three i mean we could have cracked open a bottle of bubbly or something or a glass of wine or had a nice cup of pint of beer what was i going to say yeah it's around the fear of judgment and um you know oh it was about marketing and this is where we're kind of coming full circle back to the podcast really because again sometimes people are going to um like they think that marketing is about attraction right so that they don't want other people some people to like because they want to help everybody okay so and then somebody comes along and they disagree with what we're saying and so now all of a sudden like that's that marketing is broken in their mind but actually the reality is like marketing is about repulsion as much as it is about attraction isn't it yeah i think more so there are so many people in the world and you're not here to serve all of them. So the quick, I, I call it pre-qualifying people because it's a nicer way of saying repelling people. But I pre- pre-qualify people by only serving salon owners. Or when it comes to the podcast, I only serve people who run um, businesses. I want to have the conversations with people um, about how they got into their business and why and what their journey's going to be and what it has been before. And I'm really interested in all of that not just because I'm one nosy and fascinated in other people's journeys, but also because every time I have these conversations with business owners, I learn something and I find that invaluable. Everything I do, I take something from them. And that is just genius. So when I say that my podcast has nothing to do with my business, it absolutely does because I just learn so much from them. But I pre-qualify people in my in my business as a whole by being very specific on who it is I serve, even down to, you know, being very open about my prices. That way I don't, I pre-qualify them then on how much it is to work with me because that way if they, if they can't afford it or, or, you know, they, they're not sure of how much these services are, they know straight away. So repelling people who don't fit into those categories is absolutely vital when it comes to marketing. And I think people should not be scared of that at all because niching down makes you far more available for the people that you do serve, even if you think that that's a tiny market and it really isn't. Yeah. And I I think, again, people feel like they're cutting out an enormous part of the market, don't they, before they've even got started. The reality is like there's billions, hundreds of millions of businesses all around the world who you can still serve even in even in tiny niches. I mean, you think about salon owners like worldwide, potentially you can, you know, there's plenty even in the UK, there's enough there to be able to kind of, you know, what do they say? You only need 100 or 1000 like raving fans in order to, to create a sustainable small business nowadays in the UK. We don't need tens of thousands of businesses that we need to work with. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, I advocate people niching down, niching down, niching down until it really squeaks. My husband, he was really terrified when I was talking to talking to him about, you know, all of this when I got, you know, 
sharper and sharper with who it was I serve. And he's a property developer and he was saying, you know, I, I just don't understand it. The more that you limit yourself, the less people are going to be available. And, and I and I explained it to him in terms that he would understand. You're a property developer who builds million pound properties in um, villages around Milton Keynes. Only people who have access to millions of pounds or are able to buy properties worth millions of pounds are going to be interested in that. Only people who are interested in living in the outskirts of Milton Keynes are going to be interested in that. Only people who want to live in a village on the outskirts of Milton Keynes are going to be interested in that. You are a niche. You just don't realize it. And I think so many people don't realize that they are a niche because they're terrified to market themselves as a niche because they think that if they are more open, it's going to be for more people. And it isn't. You are already a niche because the way you show up as yourself and the way you provide your service is already a niche because you are the only one who can turn up the way that you turn up. You mentioned something really important about pricing as well, about um, being transparent with the pricing. So it 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 reminded me of something around, um, you know, we all hate that thing where you kind of do the bait and switch. You get all the way through the like the the consultation, which isn't sales, obviously. uh, And then you kind of like you get to the pointy end of the conversation at the end where they kind of have to sheepishly go. uh, And so how much is this thing that you've been? So all the way through the conversation, they've been having to guess how much your price is and whether what you've been saying is good value for money or not. And then you give them the price and on their feet, they've now got to figure out, Oh shit, can I afford that? Is that, is that worth it? Or to, you know, whereas actually some, in some respects, if you give the price up front at the start of the call, everything you say after that is then anchored. Like the value of it is then anchored to that, that price, which they now already know. So that's quite an interesting sort of concept. Is that the sort of thing you were talking about? Yeah. I think if you understand who it is your serve, who your ideal client is really, really well. If you are completely in tune with that person, then you understand what it is they need to hear. Now, I, as a consumer, the first thing I say is, how much is it? I'm not interested in the faffery behind it. I'm very much a give me the baby and take the labor pains away. It's just of no interest to me whatsoever. I want to know that you can give me what it is I want at the end of it, but I also want to know that I can afford it. So if we are having a conversation and in my head, I think it's £2,000 and we get to the end and you tell me it's either £500 or £10,000, I'm not going to think that this is the thing that I was after. So there is absolutely no point in me getting to the end of that. That's exactly the same for my ideal client. They don't think that they can afford help or, you know, advice or anything like that. But when they understand that, you know, for me to negotiate, at least it's £1,800 and, you know, the least amount I've ever been able to save anyone is, you know, three and a half grand, they think this is a no-brainer. I put all of that out everywhere so that anyone who comes into my world, they know that data already. So none of those conversations need to be had. The very few people that ever come across our our doors that say, you know, how much is it? It's it's a immediate one thousand eight hundred um, pounds because there's no point in me dragging anything out. That is what it is. There's no discounts. There's no conversations. It's absolutely there to help people. So I just think it's for me. It's the authentic way to do it. And if and for me, when I use other people's services that's the first conversation I have so I wish people would be more transparent with their prices because I don't think there are very many from my personality there are very many um objection techniques that could work that would make me want to work with somebody who hadn't 
aligned their message with the value that I had in my head. Yeah, makes perfect sense. You alluded to earlier on as well about your business journey. I want to just spend a few minutes sort of digging into that. So how did you get into business in the first place? And was there like a, because there's, I'm going to say something really like (laughs) really rubbish now, surveyors. It's a bit boring, isn't it? Like how, <laughs> how did you get into it in the first place? And then, because you're on much more of an entrepreneurial journey, I would say now, than just being a surveyor, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I've always been an entrepreneur. I was that kid that was selling friendship bracelets at six years old at school. Like, that is just who I am. I always have been. I've worked worked since I was 12 years old. Never not worked at all. Um, and it's just who I am. My mum's very much a businesswoman, whereas my dad is very much kind of entrepreneurial spirited, but he always works in the steelworks and was just not interested in, you know, doing any of the legwork that came to it. So the brain side came from my dad and the business side came from my mum and they kind of melded into the evil genius that I became. <laughs> And then I, um, I went off traveling around the, I mean, I, I worked in, you know, small jobs and everything like that. And I went off traveling around the world and, um, I decided, you know, I was very much when I was looking at universities and stuff, I was very much into law. I, I love that, that side of, of everything. I was very good at maths. Um, and I'm great at kind of problem solving and everything like that. And they were my areas of kind of genius and our, um, accountancy wasn't going to do it. Architecture, because I'm very into architecture as well. Architecture, I can't draw a straight line. Seven years at university wasn't going to do it for me. Let's go and check out law. Boring as hell. My whole family are into construction. Let's do something in property. So we kind of found you know, degrees that would work. But then they all said, oh, you have to be a surveyor at the end. I thought, well, I'll I'll learn all about the law and I'll become a, you know, property developer or something like that. But at least I'll have the kind of legal brain behind me and and it'll be great. But I was then um, pinched out of university, uh, um, headhunted out of university by um, this firm in London and just absolutely loved it. But I thought, you know, I'll do this for a couple of years because I'm actually really enjoying it. And, um, And then I'll stop when I don't enjoy it anymore. And when you become a surveyor, you need, you know, years of kind of practice. Like a, a, a lawyer, you need to be in practice for a certain amount of time. And, I, you know, and I did all of that. But being an entrepreneur, it's just really difficult to be able to keep within the realms of employment. And that was just, you know, painful for me, completely painful. But I stuck it out for a good number of years and then just realized that I had to kind of go out on my own. So I started... Um, I started advising the government on their property portfolio and that's where I started by doing contracts and contracts and I just didn't have a day off for seven years and then I had a you know one of those pivotal moments that you never know is going to happen I was going through a big divorce and you know my ex-husband was we're best of friends now but at the time he was having a huge mental health crisis. He wasn't in the children's life. I had two children by then. He wasn't in the children's life. I was a single mum. And I took this contract on in this um, cancer hospital. And they had, you know, I was doing like MRI suites, dental, you know, huge, big contracts. And it was amazing. I made um, the NHS 10 million pounds. And I thought I was this big wig and I had this huge ego and I turned into a complete arsehole. Um, but but I know now it was because I was going through a huge divorce. So, you know, somebody loved me and this is great sort of thing, you know, ridiculous. Um, and then, and this was like literally three months of my life. Thank God. Thank God it was only three months of my life because 
find there was a tiny um, hair salon on this site that specialized in cutting wigs for people who'd lost their hair. And all of my family died of cancer, uh, all of them. And I walked, the salon owner wouldn't communicate with me. And I'd written to her to say I was coming to the salon. And I walked into the salon and there was a girl, there was a lady there who was clearly going through cancer treatment, having a wig fitted. And she was my age, around my age. And she was with a little girl who was her daughter who was going through cancer treatment and it was also having a wig fitted. And she was roughly the same age as my daughter. And I just lost it. Mm. You know, there was, it was obviously coming because I turned into some complete Egypt, but I just completely lost it. And I, um, you know, I try to be as professional as possible. I know I joke and everything like that, but I am very professional. I'd lost my, I, I was crying, sobbing and everything like that. And anyway, Helen, who owned the salon, she, the, the, the lady and the daughter were, were wonderful to me and everything like that. But when they left, she kind of sat down with me and we, we chatted and she started crying because she knew I was there to put a rent up and, you know, renegotiate a lease. And she was obviously still, you know, doing it on a charity level and not making very much money. And she could see that I was going to, you know, ruin her business. And I just knew there and then, you know, my best friend, I've got two of my best friends, are salon owners. And I'd grown up with my mum's best friend being a salon owner too. And it was just like spark. That's it. And ever since it's kind of been my aim for that demographic to never feel like they can't get help because they just don't ask for help. They're always there to help everyone else, but they think they have to sign any old rubbish lease. And that's kind of what she'd got herself into. So it was just one of those fateful moments that kind of changed my life forever. Gosh, that's, that's so, but we need those pivotal moments, don't we? We need those lightning bolts just to kind of, you know, almost shock us out of whatever daily droll rubbish we've managed to get ourselves into, like habit-wise. And it's just, do you, are you still in touch with her just out of curiosity? Do you, you know? No, I get asked that a lot because <clears throat> because of the legal framework that we work in, we can't advise her oh, while okay. I'm working for a different party so at the time there was a part of me that didn't want to be in contact with her but I do think about her every day and I do want to kind of get in touch now because it's been so many years now that I'd yeah. love to see how she is yeah what a remarkable story and in terms of like have you ever have you had any challenges again since since you kind of made the transition with your business and um huge, similar to that huge challenges because it's such a it's such a unique thing to do um, nobody else in the UK does what I do. So to come out and say, I am just going to serve salon owners was like putting my head above the parapet wall and saying, you know, this is, I'm going to change the industry. And little by little, I feel like I am. And then this weekend I went to a huge um, salon international and um, pro beauty expos and I felt like a small fish again so you know I know that I'm kind of getting out there but I'm still a small fish when it comes to this huge industry but I'm just chipping away and making sure that people know that there is help out there so and on that note I mean sort of chipping away what is what what are you working on at the moment what's what's sort of coming up for you in the next couple of years yeah, so we've um, launched Salon Owners Club. It's a membership for salon owners. We do weekly masterclasses from industry leaders on everything to do with business and the industry, um, training, trends, staff, HR, marketing, all of the elements that you need to run a successful business. And it's about you know having a thriving business, having a thriving, profitable business, but also knowing that they are time poor and they don't have time to find different training for every aspect of business every single week. So 
it's that accessible training for these salon owners to be able to have a thriving business and a weekly uh, Q&A session with me so they can have those moments where they can say, you know, this doesn't seem right with my lease. This doesn't seem right with my marketing, you know. So the years of business that I've had, I can kind of help them with that. But also I get industry leaders to come in and go, look, I know my level of understanding of marketing and everything from running a business, of, you know, of money mindset, of I can obviously be an expert on leases, but I get the experts in to say like, this is the real information. And it also helps me every week too. It's phenomenal. Yeah, no, it sounds absolutely fantastic. And how can people find um, find out more about the Salon Owners Club? Yeah, so you can find that on any of our um, social medias and you can also find it on www.deniseferguson.co.uk. Very nice. Well, it sounds, I mean, we have got a number of people actually, funny enough, in, in the group who um, are in the beauty sort of therapy industry or in the medical aesthetic space. So I'm sure there's people who um, potentially could be um, uh, listening to this thinking, we definitely need to get in touch with Denise. So what <laughs> you mentioned the website there, but I'm guessing you're on all sorts of different social medias um, as well and Clubhouse. We are. We are all over the place at the moment and we are trying to get more and more visible too. So we are on um, Instagram, UK Salon Owners. We are on Facebook, UK Salon Owners um, Facebook group. We are, I am on LinkedIn, Denise Ferguson. We're on Clubhouse, Denise Ferguson. Um, Yeah, I think that's pretty much us. Cool. I've got two final questions for you, Denise. And I probably should have warned uh, warned you about one of these whilst we were off air, actually, to give you time to ponder. But if you need 10 seconds, you can take as long as you need, Okay, So um, we're going to jump into the Fearless Business DeLorean and we're going to go back to a year in your past. And you get to give Denise T-minus X years some advice. So what year is it? And what are you going to tell Denise? I think it has to be... Uh, eight years ago because it's almost eight years to the day or a couple of months ago maybe eight years ago Denise when I was going through um, when I'd first kind of um, started the divorce with my husband I wish I told her that it was going to be okay a lot faster than she ever believed because I think I hid away too long and I could have helped way more people if I'd have been braver faster yeah can I give you a bit of feedback on that yeah I think you're being hard on yourself I think in the moment it's it's you don't know like how long it's going to take to kind of get through it because everything's very big and overwhelming in the moment you don't think you're ever going to get through it no but also you've got (laughs) to put the oxygen mask on yourself as well and obviously you Mm -hmm. needed that time whilst there was no like catastrophes going on directly around you you still needed that time for healing so perhaps actually it's it was a necessary process to go to go through hindsight's easy to look back isn't it disease and think oh it could have been different but that's so easy yeah if you had one piece of sage advice for somebody maybe who was just starting out in business or maybe somebody's been in business for a little while but is faltering a little bit what would that piece of advice be ask for help love it 100% ask for help three of the strongest words I think we've ever had in answer to that question on this podcast actually so ask for help nice and simple I think you're about to explain something else as well then there's just so many of us out here that that are like helping people and I that was that was the biggest pivotal point in my business when I switched from trying to find clients to trying to find people to help I never care about whether or not people need me for free or for you know lease negotiations it 
is utterly irrelevant for me. Anyone can contact me in any realm and I will help everybody. When that switched, it made a huge difference to my business. Huge. Because people recommend people. So when anyone could come to me and ask a question, especially things like on Clubhouse and where so many people are listening. And I say this over and over and over again as well. When somebody comes on stage on Clubhouse or asks me a question on a social media platform or anything like that, I don't answer specifically for that person. I answer for everybody who can read that or hear that because you do not know how many eight years ago Denise's are going to be sitting in that audience desperate for help, but can't, do not have the words, do not have the ability to be able to put their hands up. So whenever you're on a platform and you can help someone, please help them. 100%. Otherwise, it means that you're only doing this for you. And I think that's a bit selfish. I think we everybody has time out of their day to be able to go in and answer five Facebook posts of people asking questions or jump onto Clubhouse and ask questions and things like that. So I think that's a really pertinent reminder that, you know, and uh, I hate it when I see business owners who are kind of just banging their head against the same wall, like struggling with the same problems, like over and over. And it's just like, there's somebody out there who's got those answers. Just go and ask for that help. Super, but I think super it's often. because people say to you as well, do the revenue generating tasks. And if the revenue generating tasks take 40 hours a week, then, you know, do nothing else. Well, eventually some revenue may be generated from me helping that person, but I can tell you what will happen. I'll be happier. And I can tell you when I make more money, when I'm happier. So if I show up and help people authentically for a set amount of hours a day, set amount of situations a day, then I will be a happier person and I will be able to do my work authentically. If I don't do that and I bury myself in the revenue generating tasks every single day, all the time, I am miserable and that is never going to generate any money. I think you need to go through those journeys, though, of understanding the things that make you tick. And I think that's the other thing we don't talk about enough. Stop trying to be perfect. Everyone in every stage of business is screwing up every single day because it is impossible to be perfect. But if you are just trying to take that one step forward every single day, then you're trying to be a better person. And that is all it's about. 100%. 100%. Absolutely. Denise, I know I could sit here and talk to you like all afternoon. We do have to wrap up though, I'm afraid. So um, just wanted to take the opportunity, folks. You've been listening to Denise Ferguson talking to Robin Waite on the Fearless Business Podcast here today. Thank you ever so much, Denise, for um, imparting your pearls of wisdom and telling us about your journey as well. A fantastic journey, which you've been on. So thank you. Thank you so much. 